Welcome to another edition of Story Catchers. I'm Tara Polkani. For the next few weeks, we're going to be sharing some of the stories we've captured in partnership with Homeless Connections, surrounding the stories of those living, loving, or supporting someone experiencing homelessness in the Fox Cities today. We're so excited to bring you another inspiring story recorded live at Homeless Connections here in Appleton, Wisconsin. I'd like to introduce you to Victor. My name's Victor. I'm Hispanic. Born and raised in Texas, uh, just south of Dallas, but I've been living in, in uh, south Texas, close to the border. Uh, been here since uh, last July. How'd you, how'd you make your way here? Well, well, there's companies up here, like for example here in Wisconsin, that recruit every year out of Texas for seasonal work. And everybody goes back home when it's done, but I decided to stay here and check it out. So did you come here with your family? No, no. Just yourself? Just myself. Uh, All of my family's back home. One of uh, 14 siblings. If you ask me what was my childhood like with my siblings, have you ever ever been to a pit bull fight? It was like that with me and my brothers. When we got along, we were as close as any Mm family of brothers that you would you would ever know but when we were at odds we tried to kill each other put each other in the hospital I was eight nine years old ten years old when my older brothers used to have their drinking buddies over the house and they used to make dollar bets by pitting the younger brothers against each other and see who would be the last man standing one time when I was eight nine years old my brother Lawrence used to go out and party on the weekends. And he used to, he literally kicked me with his boots to, to make them eggs in the morning. It'd be three in the morning. One day, he kicked me up, so I said, oh, eggs again. And he pulls out his knife, his, and he gives it to me. And he says, follow me in the room. He turns on the light. He takes off his shirt. He's got blood all over his back. He got shot in the back with a shotgun. He'd take all the pellets. And some were so deep. And uh, all I know is that my hands were full of blood, shaking. But uh, at the same time, I said, this is the perfect time to kill him. Mm-hmm. Torn between both emotions. In a way, I wanted to help him. But in the other way, I, I was hoping he'd die. Well, in 1974, November the 23rd, he asked me to make his hot water and shine his shoes. So he gave me a dollar. I was 10 years old, so I shined his boots, made his hot water. He got he went out with the guys, and, and he got shot to death that night. I didn't know. I was torn again, relief or regret. So I was feeling both of them at the same time. Mm-hmm. I forgave him, you know. I guess we had that ingrained in us. I started crying started crying because brothers shouldn't do that to each other. In a way, I was crying because I felt I failed as a brother. I failed as a son to my parents. I didn't understand alcoholism when I was little. I didn't understand why my dad drank. Couldn't understand why my mom loved my siblings more than me. So I just thought it was because I failed her as a son. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I never knew I, about depression 
I was in the military right after high school. My plan was to make it a career. My first enlistment was a six-year enlistment. That's how serious I was about it. That's what my intentions were. When I was in my first duty assignment at Dias Air Force Base in Abilene, I kept having repeating nightmares, the same dream. But every dream was like another chapter of the one prior. So one, one, the last dream I had uh, was a revelation. Now I knew why I had been depressed all these years. I was a victim of sexual abuse, you know, by family members. And when that realization came to light, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I was suicide, became suicidal. So it ruined my military career. I was honorably discharged, but I don't qualify for vet status, vet benefits, because it was the, under the 180 day okay. military agreement. I've been pretty much depressed all my life after that, but I never saw treatment. If you don't cope with it, yeah, it could it can be tragic. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the majority of my family doesn't even know about my homelessness. Don't even know I'm here. And, and why is that? Uh, because of my illness, depression, which led to alcohol abuse. I've lost contact with my loved ones, my family, siblings, children. I haven't talked to my own kids since 1996. And the two from my second marriage, I haven't had contact in 99. The last time I saw my oldest son, he was 11, 12 years old. Now he's 32, you know. You know, what's there to say to him? I failed as a father, you know. Why at this stage in his life would I just let him live his life? I'm dealing with my recovery. It takes a long time. Do you have treatment here? Here, oh yes, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't start getting treatment to like in 2012. Sure. After I hit rock bottom with my with my alcohol mm-hmm. abuse, you know. Uh, my last relationship ended because she got killed on her way to picking me up mm-hmm. in 2012. I I blamed myself for her death because we were texting mm-hmm. while she was driving. I should have left her alone, let her concentrate on what she had to do, because in Houston, Texas, a big city, traffic is crazy there. That hit me hard, and of course, I turned to alcohol, and to the point where I found myself not just sleeping, not just sleeping in shelters. That'd be a a, a safe place to be, sure. but I found myself sleeping under the foundations of buildings, like the plumber's crawl space, mm-hmm. where a plumber can get it under your house. Well, I found myself sleeping in a crawl space under a boxing gym. I volunteered to go through a alcohol rehab. Mm-hmm. So I did. See, maybe. Was, that, was that helpful? Oh yeah, it was very helpful. I haven't drank since. Sure. But uh, my mental illness is is there. 
will always be there. The first time I've experienced homelessness, uh, you probably have to be around 2006. It was uh, out of state. For years since I was a little kid, we've gone up north and done migrant work. So I guess it's still in me because my dad used to do it when I was a little kid. I've been bouncing from shelter to shelter, city to city, county to county, state to state. I've been to the East Coast, the Ocean, Atlantic. I've been to the Pacific Coast, all the way down to the U.S.-Mexico border to up here almost in Canada, shelters in between. People out there who don't know much yeah. about homelessness think that all shelters are geared alike. That's not the case. Some, some shelters are good because they have the resources and the people that are trained in this field to deal with people that are not just homeless, but people that are homeless that have mental, mental and emotional issues, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. A, a, lot, a lot of shelters, the staff, they don't have the training or the, or the schooling or the degrees. This one by far is probably, probably the best shelter I've ever been in. They talk to you like a person instead of a homeless person, right. you see? Some don't. Mm -hmm. Some talk to you like you're incarcerated, like you're an inmate. And they talk to you just like that, and they make it difficult. I mean, your self-esteem is already down for, for the staff to talk to people like that. Mm -hmm. They're just physical to feed you, feed you, and, you, and provide you a, a bunk at mm -hmm. night, and then get up at five in the morning, yeah. and whatever happens yeah. out there, they have no idea right. what's going on. Which I feel sad because sad for those that are not capable physically, or they're just at that age where employment is just not an option anymore. I mean, you know, they're like seventy-eight years old. Right. You know, 80 sometimes. And when you're in a controlled environment like here at this shelter, your life is pretty much uh, regulated, your activities with your doctors here, your doctor therapist there. So while you're in here, you're working towards a recovery. But the real test comes when you're no longer here in this controlled environment. It's when you're out there out there in the streets, out there in, in the real world, as they say. How will you take everything that you've learned here and apply it there to have a successful recovery? What's one thing that you wished more people understood about homelessness? I wish that they would understand that many people are homeless not because they have a drug or alcohol issue, Everybody has to be a, a criminal, the scum of society, as they say, or have a mental illness, not because they're lazy bums. I have known people that are firemen, a businessman in a suit and tie, that were bunking next with me at a shelter. That's the one thing I wish people would understand about homelessness. It can strike anybody, regardless what side of the tracks you come from. Regardless whether you're unemployed or whether, like I say, you have a viable income, a career, it can happen for many reasons. I mean, it's not like one day I woke up and said, you know what, today I want to be a homeless person. You know, it doesn't happen like that. 
I've met homeless people that who are very smart, educated, degreed. I've, I've met homeless people that are Liberace on the piano. And I wonder, why are you here with such a beautiful talent? But I don't know his story, you know. For those, for those that want self-sufficiency in their life again and a, some sense of normalcy, that's what I want personally. That's why I'm here. I've been here for over six months. There's a waiting list to come here. Right. You just can't walk into the door and say, hey, you know, I need help. Or, No, there's a waiting list for people to come in through those doors and have a place to start. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's work on a plan. Like in my case, my case manager, Stephanie knows knows all about me and what are those issues and barriers in my life. And she's working on them. I'm working on them. And, you know, everyone's different mm -hmm. because we all, we all have different needs, mm -hmm. you know. Not everybody here is, a, is an alcoholic or drug addict. Some of them have never been homeless before. So this is a shocker. But I tell them, you know what, you're in one of the best places you could possibly be if that's, if that's your goal. Mm -hmm. I told them about the other ones I've been in in my, in my past. This is by far. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad I'm here, you know. I'll take full advantage of all the resources they got. They got FSED, DVR, and I'm enrolled in all those. Uh, you get tired of looking at life through a glass, sure. so to speak. I mean, you see it going on, but you're not part of it. And that's what homelessness feels like to me. Even though you're out there walking amongst the people, you feel like you're not connected at all. And I guess I'll, I'll feel better once my life returns back to some kind of normalcy like it used to be. I mean, there will always be those issues there that I'll have to deal with. But at least I'll have a starting point. Is what I'm trying to say. Tell me about your concept of home. My, my concept of a home? Pretty much what it was like when I was a child. Security, for one. When I was a child, I didn't have to worry about this, worry about that. I miss eating three square meals a day. Not because I can't or don't have access. I have access to three, four meals, five meals a day right now but when you know you've been alone as long as I have you don't eat it's not the same you know having the family together and because I like to cook I used to love to cook you get so used to just grabbing a quick bite at the at the store whether it be quick trip or McDonald's or whatever the only re real meal you have is when you're here at 6 o'clock. That's the only time that it feels normal. And I'm grateful for all the volunteers that come here because they cook that stuff homemade, mm -hmm. and you can taste it. And that makes me miss home. Yeah. You know, you know. When do you feel the most overwhelmed? Okay, I feel overwhelmed a lot naturally because I suffer from anxiety, sure. sweaty palms. I'm ha I have anxiety. I'm, going, I'm experiencing anxiety right now when I'm in a new situation. Uh, or, for example, I can't enjoy a hamburger, fries, and a Coke 
like most people can when they go into a McDonald's. Okay. I want to, and the only time I can is when it's early in the morning when there's nobody there, okay. or late at night when there's no, hardly nobody there. That's when I feel overwhelmed the most mm -hmm. in situations like that. Yeah. But it's caused me jobs, good paying jobs. A lot of times just being around a lot of people, strangers, mm -hmm. so my, I feel overwhelmed. And mostly like at a job, makes me just punch out. Mm. What are you most proud of in your life? I was the only one that graduated high school out of all my siblings. But I would have to say that making it to my 53rd birthday, considering everything that has happened to me yeah. in my life with my depression, homelessness, uh, um, taking all that into consideration, the roller coaster ride in my life my high points and my low points. The fact that I'm here talking to you, that would probably be, you know, the main that I'm proud of. Cause not just the fact that I, that I suffer from major depression and anxiety, sure. but the fact that I've been in situations in my past that really is um, a miracle, I guess, that I'm alive today. I've been that close, DOA, alcohol abuse, uh, alcohol blood poisoning, they call it. Mm -hmm. Five minutes, I'd have been DOA. Not just once, but many, several times. And I've been in, I've been in very violent situations. I've fallen off a bridge, landed on a steel pipe, ribs first, didn't go see the doctor or nothing. Yeah. Uh, just God's good humor that he still has me here. Very turbulent life. When do you feel the most connected with other people? Right now, today, mm -hmm. I feel most connected when I chat with my friends online. Other than a brother and my best friend and his wife that are here in the U.S. Okay. All my online friends are overseas. Sure. I video chat with them. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them are, I feel real close, feel like a, some of them are big brother. Yeah. They call me Kuya, which in their language means big brother. I get to see their life, their life with their families through video chat. And I laugh, I laugh because they think, to me it's a blessing to to see people from around the world mm -hmm. and how they live on a daily basis, Absolutely. you know. And when they say it's Kuya Vic on the on the video, the other little kids and yeah. their nephew, they, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, so I feel most connected at those times. I mean, there's one that, that has a little daughter named Ishka. Now, Ishka never knew her biological dad died when she was still, and she calls me Daddy Vic, sweet girl. And when I can, when I was working, like I said, I would always wire her money for her school, because their school system is the opposite of sure. ours. You know, her mother, 
never asked me for a penny. She's a good, she's a hard-working lady, too. I send her money for her school, her school uniforms, her school supplies. She likes Hello Kitty, so got to make sure it's Hello Kitty. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, in a strange way, I love her like she was my own daughter. That doesn't sound strange at all. You know, that's when I feel most connected. Yeah. I like her mom. Yeah? Yeah. But, you know, that's why I want to get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, is, is that, do you think, what is driving you forward? No, that's definitely my motivation. Uh, I haven't had a reason to care about anything mm-hmm. in a long, long, long time, you know. And I didn't think I could care about anything, period. Especially when you give up on yourself and don't care about yourself, what makes you think you care about anything or anyone else? Exactly. You know, you don't care about your your status. You don't care about your employment. You don't care. You don't care. You don't care to eat. Cause I haven't ate three square meals. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just you just don't you just don't care. And th- that's the thing about homeless people that people on the outside don't understand. Uh, you give up caring about about yourself. In, in, in every way, mm-hmm. not just your physical and your mental, but your relationship with others, your own family, whatever your job or your you know your co-employees, you just you just give up. You know, it's too much. Yeah. And yes, it's it's a lot to handle, and there's a lot that some a lot of people can't handle. Absolutely. That's why you have you know death, mm-hmm. the result those that don't don't get help or don't care to get the help. But yeah, she, they both are right now my driving force. I mean, they're my family in every, in every sense, in every ma- way that matters. Yeah. They're little lifelines, right? Yeah, life, uh, life-saving lifelines. You've been listening to Storycatchers. I'm Tara Polkani. Go to storycatcherscommunity.com to find out more and to consider sharing your story with us, because we all have stories to tell.